Is it on? Welcome to the Shaunt Show with your hosts, Curtis, Josh, Mario, and Jordan. Welcome into a special edition of the Shaunt Show. It's not just another edition, it's a special edition. This is the basketball season preview, and yes, we're well aware that a couple games have happened before we got this out to you. Uh, that was on purpose. We had full plans to record this episode before the season started, uh, and then we thought about it for more than two seconds and said, oh, actually, we don't know who's on this team. Everybody that you were a fan of last year, except for three, is gone, and they have been replaced by nine new transfers. It's essentially a brand new program. Now, the guys that are coming back are impressive. You've got Issa Mustafa, you've got Will Lakai, you've got Josh Uduje. Some really solid players from last year's team. Lakai didn't get the minutes that he deserved. We talked about that on multiple episodes. But this is a team that, that is in transition and has to find themselves. Josh, you're almost our inside man here. You go to nearly every practice. You know, you're with these guys constantly in and out. A lot of new faces around this program. Who stands out amongst them? Yeah, so like we mentioned, like nine new guys this year, three returners, but three returners out of a team that only played seven guys. So essentially you still have half the team back. Everyone else is gone. All of the backups, they all dipped out. But yeah, I've been to a lot of practices and I pay attention to all this. I'm, I'm a college basketball nut. And it's my, definitely my favorite sport and something I pay way too much attention to, kind of like Curtis with college football in the draft. But, I mean, the guy that stands out to me is – I'm not going to talk about Antonio Day right now because he's not eligible until December, and we'll get into how good of a player he is. But it's probably Jamaru Brown. He came in. He was the second-leading scorer from an Eastern Kentucky team that almost made the tournament. He averaged 12 points a game last year and really took on strong at the end of the season. He was their leading scorer in, like, five out of the last ten games. So a guy that can really score, I've seen it in – we played – let me start off by saying that we played literally two Division three teams to start the season. So it's basically, like, you're playing on rookie mode. 2k and you can basically do whatever you want your attributes are up but this dude is a guy that can finish at the rim he wants to finish at the rim he's a super creative finisher like he'll go up and under he'll do euro steps he wants to get to the rim though he'll knock down the shot when he has to but he's super experienced this is his fifth year of college basketball he played aau with antonio day and yeah it's just a guy that's gonna step in it's everything you want in a veteran guard and he's going to be a huge part of Coastal making it back to the NCAA tournament this year. Yeah, I think those are all valid points. Uh, Jordan, I, I want to toss it to you. You look up and down this roster, like we said a bunch of times already, nine returning guys, or excuse me, nine transfers in, three returning guys. It's a lot of change. What do you think is going on in that locker room? Do you think they can bring all these guys together? Yeah, I think they can. It's just it's just going to depend on the players, and it's just going to depend on how good of the coaching staff that they have. I mean, I think that, you know, the players – at the end of the day, the players have to go out and execute what the coaches are giving them. But I think that, yes, with three returning starters, a lot of people are saying with these new guys coming in, they can't mesh. 
you can't say that. We don't know yet. We don't know that yet for certain. Through these two games that, you know, that have been on TV that I've noticed, the team actually looks pretty well. Now, granted, they haven't played any top competition um, yet, but I think that this team can mesh. It, it just depends on everything with the players, and yet we have to wait and see when Antonio Day comes in. We, we don't know how the offense look, will look completely different when he comes, but I think that the players right now are, are meshing and everything's coming together for them, but I think the sky's the limit for this team. I, I thought the sky was the limit last year for this team, and Granted, we had a pretty decent season last year. We didn't make the NCAA tournament. We made it to the um, we made it to the basketball classic championship game against Fresno State. But I think that this team has what it takes to actually make make a make a big impact and a big surprise in the Sun Belt. I think they can. It just depends on the players. We just have to wait and see. Yeah, I think those are all valid points, Mario. The question that I'll come to you with. Coach Cliff Ellis has been here a long time, and this season of transition fits his mold. This is what he does. He brings in a lot of transfers. He doesn't really recruit a lot of high school kids, and when he does, they're from some random village in Lithuania. But, like, can he use that experience to bring this team together? And when he does, what are you looking for from this team? What are you expecting from this team? Well, I'll say this right now. I don't know how he can do it, but I do expect Cliff Ellis to bring his team together. This is a brand new team, like we said, besides three returning guys. And it's not just up to Cliff Ellis. It's up to those veteran players in the team, uh, Mustafa, Lakai, um, Jamar Brown, like Josh said, Antonio Day. It's up to all these guys to figure it out and to mesh together as well. Not even that, but it's up to the assistant coaches too. You know, it's even though there's one head coach in Cliff Ellis, those assistant coaches, I believe, are very, very crucial to the season because Cliff Ellis cannot surveil the entire team. I remember um, me and Jordan, we went to the uh, we, we went to the spring. Uh, we went to like the the spring game for basketball and I'm looking and they had like a, and what I noticed is they have a bunch of like obviously like fellows is talking to this group of players and then you got. Coach Moss talking to this group of players and so on and so forth. All these assistant coaches were getting involved in helping these players mesh. And I think that's going to be very, very crucial. So I think he can have a part in it, but I don't think it's up to him alone to do it. I think this is the veteran leadership happen to come together. They're going to have to mesh. To me, it reminds me of like, without like the whole rivalry type thing, it reminds me of like the Miracle on Ice, except with basketball. You get all these players from a bunch of different places coming in. And they all got to figure out a way to build chemistry as a team. And it's and again, it's a team. It's a team thing. It's not just Cliff Ellis, but Cliff Ellis is obviously the head coach. He's gonna be the one where everybody's eyes are on. But these assistant coaches, I believe, are more crucial than Cliff Ellis because they're gonna have to do what they need to do to bring this whole entire team together. Because Cliff Ellis himself cannot watch after all these players. And as far as the team, uh, I went to both games. First game, like, even though they did blow out the other team, there were still some things I just wasn't, like, impressed with. I'm, like, I'm looking at, like, them trying to toss alley-oops and they can't get, like, a clean alley-oop in. And I'm saying to myself, I was, like, we got to, like, I'm saying to myself, I was, like, the chemistry's not there yet, but you know what? It's only the first game. The second game, however, they were having a field day on Methodist. And, I mean, like, alley-oops were getting completed, big slams. They weren't cheap slams that we've been seeing throughout the whole entire team. It was – shooting was amazing. You start seeing guys play – great defense, put their bodies on the line. 
I mean, so so far that second game, they definitely improved a lot quicker than what I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be a little slower of improvement, but they're improving. And honestly, with the schedule uh, that we have this year, it's not a great schedule. I'm going to be honest right now. That definitely helps. But I believe this team will find their find their chemistry a lot quicker than what we thought. So I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah, I want to jump into their schedule a little bit. I think one of the things that helped last season, it, it helped Coastal to build that chemistry and find themselves was the game against South Carolina. It came pretty early in the season. It was a packed HTC center. They beat their in-state, I use air quotes here, rivals, and they really put a message down. Did they go undefeated after that? Did they go to the NCAA tournament after that? No, but the team that came out of that game was drastically better and drastically different than the team that went in. This year, they don't have that marquee game. Yes, they play Missouri. It's an SEC team, but it's a bottom feeder SEC team. They're not, uh, yes, they're Power 5 Conference, but bleh, right? And so I, I think the schedule's going to hamper Coastal Carolina. Yes, they're going to get to play a lot of cupcakes. That's what Coastal Carolina does. They schedule four games against the Northwest Southeast School, the Deaf and Blind, and that's just what they do. But I think this team has, has a real chance to come together and find that chemistry. Let's move into something new. Let's break down the team. Josh, again, you're our inside man. I'm going to be turning to you a lot in this podcast. A lot of new faces, a lot of new places, but what are you seeing from this team? Who is going to be the best player on this team come the end of the season? And what are you expecting from the returning guys? Where are their numbers going to be at? What roles are they going to play? Are they going to be pushed down the depth chart because of new transfers coming in? Break it all down for us. Give us a whole roster overview. All right, perfect. You guys might have to let me... I'm going to try to keep this short and get, get a quick overview because I could literally talk all day about these guys. But I think Antonio Day is going to be the best player on this team, unquestionably. This is a guy that I, I've known who he was for like three or four years, and I literally couldn't believe it when I saw that we landed him in the transfer portal. Couldn't believe it when we made his final four. I mean, this dude's an absolute bucket. He's one of the top guards in all of college basketball. He was like top 20 in scoring two or three years in a row in the entire country. At conferences that I would argue Conference USA and the American 10 before Conference USA lost Old Dominion Marshall was both better hoops conferences than the Sun Belt. This dude was doing this at a higher level. He's going to come in and have great numbers. But I think a theme is going to be that we won't really – I don't think we're going to need him to because I think this year – last year we talked about a lack of depth. This year I'm looking and I'm like, there's going to be dudes sitting on the bench that are very capable – in literally like a whole second team of them. I mean, just to start off, the guy that's filling in for him, Henry Abraham, I couldn't believe when I was talking to one of the coaches and they said he was probably going to start. I was like, you got to be kidding me. This dude's barely six foot. He's 180. I mean, what do you really see? He said, just wait, watch him play. Transferred from Eastern Illinois, contributed six, two, and three. He can hold his own. We've seen that the first couple games. This guy is going to anchor. He's basically an extension of the head coach on the floor. The definition of a point guard is this dude. He's not going to hurt the team ever. He's going to contribute. I think he's still going to play even when Antonio gets back. They Coaches love him, and he's actually a dog out there. I already talked about Jamaru. He's going to come in and probably be a hell of a shooting guard. 
But that leads me to another guy that's kind of a shooting guard as well, Linton Brown, a guy that's scored 20 points a game since he's been here. He can shoot the three. He's like, I call him baby Zion because he's 6'5", 220. This dude is an absolute unit out there. He's a big dude. And you wouldn't expect it, but he can shoot it like Steph Curry. He's got a little handle. He can create. I There's I, a great clip from the first game where he got a pull-up off the dribble, mid-range jumper. You don't see dudes his size doing that. So I, I'll, I'll kind of we'll, – I guess we'll split this up doing front court and back court. But just to move on, Josh Uduze, we know he's going to have a breakout year. But I don't really think he'll get the minutes because he's not – you're going to want to play all these guards. I think Josh Uduze probably is 24, 25 minutes a game. And he, but I am expecting like 12 points a game. I've talked to him recently. He's got a good head on him about this season. He's like the hooping will take care of itself because everything he's done in the off season, he's got a good head on his shoulder. And yeah. And then just to wrap up real quick, Seth Dawson and Kylan Blackman two also Juco transfers two six foot four, six, five guards that, I mean, we're really stacked at the guard position. Those guys I'm not like, I'm excited about them, but I don't think they'll contribute super much with the way that the, roster stacking up right now but they're if somebody goes down those guys are ready and they can they're both good interior finishers as well yeah so i do want to pose a question to you here before you uh jump in into the 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 centers and forwards and and my people in there banging and crashing on the boards but is this a team that cliff ellis will trust we talked about last season a lot that we basically played six at most seven guys a game and there were talented players on that bench that just never saw the light of day. Is there enough talent and is there enough belief in those guys that will actually get a true guard rotation instead of one guy getting all the minutes and you get a couple minutes in garbage time to the backup? Is that something that you see playing out this season? Yeah, I do. I think that Linton, Jamaru, Antonio, Henry... And then it's going to be tough to try to figure out which of those other guys, Kylan, Seth, those guys to sit because I would want to play all of them. And if I was a head coach, some of the decisions I would have to make would probably piss some of those guys off because you can't play them all. You can't play – you could. You can't – but I wouldn't play your best player for only 20 minutes a game. So somebody's going to have to have minutes cut, and it's going to be how they handle that as a group because they're actually really talented, and I don't think there's a ton of separation from anyone behind, like, Jamaru and Antonio as the ball handlers. I think everybody's pretty close, and you might feel pissed off if this guy's getting minutes over you. But I think he's going to trust him. I'm not sure he's got a tough task of trying to put together a rotation of those guys because I couldn't even tell you who's better than who, and I think that'll kind of play out. But, yeah, it's an extremely deep backcourt, and – spearheaded by Jamaru and Antonio guys that played AAU together and literally Jamaru came here to play with Antonio and that was the only reason like I'm super excited about those guys if we do play two or three off the bench I'm super confident in those guys especially in the turnover department let's move into the uh, front court here you've got a returning guy in Isam Mustafa who was more or less the lifeblood of this program last season um, especially for the guys that are coming back. He was always the, the center focus. He was always the guy that, that every ESPN broadcast, they do the players to watch, and it was a rotation of him, Vince Cole, and, and Rudy Williams. Well, two of those three guys are gone. 
I know he's got some new competition up front. Josh, what are you expecting from Mustafa and the rest of the big guys? Yeah, so the thing, I think Isam's just going to be more efficient this year. I think he'll have very similar numbers, but I think he's going to have less minutes and he's going to be less tired and draw less fouls because, and it's also good for him because I was talking to one of the strength coaches on the basketball team. He said this is the first time Isam's really had real competition for minutes. Otherwise, you had to throw him out there because who else is going to eat those minutes that we actually trust? I know there was some stuff they didn't really trust Isaac Hippolyte and Deshaun Thomas last year, but that's not the case this year. You got Jimmy Nichols, the Conway native, and I will say that the one thing about him, and I'm not going to say much about this at all, but he does have a slight health condition that it's not physical or anything. It's internally, and sometimes he does have to miss time, and that's all I'll say. But other than that, when he plays, he's a freak of nature. This guy can anchor your defense. He's like Giannis. He's like a less coordinated version of Giannis. He will dunk on everyone. He's got a super high. He was bringing the damn ball up the court in the Methodist game. This dude's like 6'10", wiry as hell. I'm super excited about Jimmy Nichols and being from Conway as well. Moving in, we know about Will Lakai as well. I think he'll probably get this. We might be frustrated he's not getting enough minutes this year as well. And I would like to see him, especially in the first two games, he wasn't very aggressive. In the first game, he didn't even score. So he had a lot of blocks, though. But I'm really looking for him to step up. And when you're on the floor, you have the green light. So I, I would like to see Will Lakai shoot the ball, especially try to get inside more. And then moving on to the bench step, we got DJ Basie, a guy that I've heard could really even maybe start at some point this season. He's super athletic. He's super big. This dude will dunk on anything and anything that moves, even if it's his own teammates, if they're in the way. He's a rebound machine. His range doesn't really extend very far, but he'll dunk on anyone and be a rebound monster down there. And then we also have Jalen Whitehead, a guy that I literally saw like on his visit here. I took pictures for him, his visit photos. So I've known about him for a while. A 14.10 rebound guy in Juco. Super high motor as well. He's a little less coordinated, but he really wants to win and he wants to be out there on the floor and he's also got a good head on him and that dude's just an animal. Like, that's all there is to say. And he loves catching alley-oops. Him and Jamaro are going to have a special connection this year. I'm pretty sure that's everybody. Let me know if I forgot anybody. But I, I'm really excited about the big man depth. It's the fact that I can even say big man depth this year. Yeah, just the simple fact that you can even say that is exciting. Last season, we just didn't have it. Us on the podcast, the four of us, we believed that there was more there than Cliff Ellis allowed to get on the floor, but it wasn't this level. Mario, I'll come to you with this question. Just having heard everything that you heard from Josh, who do you think is going to be Coastal Carolina's X Factor? We'll leave Antonio Day out of it. He's the unquestioned best player on the team. But who's a guy that, that's going to light up the scoreboard and light up the box sheet, or excuse me, the box score, that uh, people might not be expecting. Well, let me say, say this right now. I'll even include Antonio Day into this because to me, it's still the same player for me. And it doesn't even have to do anything with the box sheet. It doesn't have to do anything with stats. When I look in the court and I see him, like for some reason, I love the game. I love it because it's exactly the way I would love a teammate to play. And that's Abraham, Henry Abraham. Simple as that. And the reason why I say that is because the one play that I saw, right, um, it was, it, they were on defense or whatever. And a guy on Methodist was driving in and Pen, and Abraham took a nice little charge. Went on the ground, 
a trap in the charge. The ref called it, and we ended up getting the ball back. Right, That right there is what I wanted a player, a guy who was willing to put their body on the line, take those hits, take the physicality, play defense. Every single time I saw him, he would switch off pretty good. He would stay in a guy's face. He was covering the alley, so if they ever had a pass, he would, he would be able to pickpocket it and run it down the court. Great passer, setting up everything. He reminds me of Abrima Diva from last year, just setting up everything. And I think, honestly, like, I don't know how Antonio Day is going to play here. Obviously, Josh has spoken very highly about him. We're going to have to see when he's eligible. But basically, Henry Abraham, to me, has shown that he can be a legit true point guard, and he could be that Abrima Diva where everything cycles around. And we talked about that last year, even though we had guys like Isam Mustafa and Vince Cole uh, we still have Uta J and Rudy Williams, the guy who was setting it all up. It started with uh, Abrima Diba, and he was a big reason why they were able to get the plays that they were going to get. And I think Abraham's going to have a similar role. So for me, even when Antonio Day comes back, Antonio Day is going to have to sit down, take some, take some off. Abraham's going to come right back in this game, and it's up for him to take, to pick up where Antonio Day left off. And I have no, and I have no problem with him doing that. I have no doubt that he's going to do that. And right there, that's the guy I'm going to be looking at right there is Abraham. And not only that, but he he also, um the first game, he was he had some nice little laps over there, too. He was getting a little fancy with it. And personally, I'm a really big fan of him. I'm a really big fan of the way he plays. A small guy, six foot, if that Josh mentioned that, you know, not the biggest dude. But let me tell you something. He plays big. He plays big. He puts his body on the line. And he doesn't complain. I haven't seen him be – I haven't seen him complain to refs. I haven't seen him get mad over fouls and stuff. He's just locked in, keeps his head down and plays. And that's exactly what I like in a player. So, you know what? From here out, that's going to be my player to watch is Abraham. Jordan, I pose the same question to you. Who do you think stands out on this team? Who, who are you looking at to be that difference maker, whether it be when Day comes back or before he even gets here? Who sets the tone for this team? Man, I, I, love, uh, I love Jimmy Nichols. <laughs> Jimmy Nichols is, quite frankly, dude's impressive. I Mario said it earlier. We were at the the scrimmage um, that they held prior to the first game, and he had a putback slam, and he did it over Isan Mustafa. And I was like, I said, I, I looked over at Josh. I said, who who was that? Who was that? And Josh told me Jimmy Nichols. Big 55, 6'8", 225. I said, man, if that guy doesn't get any minutes this year, it'll be a crying shame because that dude, he's something. I'm telling you, he can he can be something big for this team. I looked at some of his highlights. He was at Providence and um, last year, and, man, he, he was doing some stuff against teams Villanova, number one team in the country at the time last year. You know, Craig, he he put he's playing against some of the best teams in the country and doing spectacular things. I need him to. I need Cliff Ellis, Benny Moss. I need those guys, the coaches. I need them to try to figure out a way to try to integrate him into the plate playbook more. I think he could be something real special for us. Um, I know if Esam ever did get into like a lot of um, foul trouble, that's what one thing that caught my attention last year when he got in trouble with fouls we didn't know like who was going to come in after him but now we got death there that can you know jimmy and all the other guys that are forwards and centers that can go in if Esam gets two or three fouls 
in the first half. So I'm really excited to see the forwards, but most importantly, Jimmy Nichols looks impressive. And I've only seen him play in two games, but I think he can be an X-factor for us for sure. Right. And following off of what Jordan said about Jimmy Nichols, um, to me, it's like a little connection. He's from uh, he went to Providence College and I'm Rhode Island. You know, Rhode Island is the smallest state in the country in the country. And we're not that when it comes to sports. Like there isn't a lot that you could say about Rhode Island when it comes to sports. But the one thing that we do have that are great is college basketball. We got URI. We got Providence College. We got these really good basketball colleges. And I, I can tell you this right now. Providence College is that like they are that good as people talk about, especially in Rhode Island, like they are huge when it comes, when it comes to March Madness, it's always them and URI. And even Providence college was like right down the street from my grandmother's house and Providence college, like a Providence basketball game. That was the first ever college basketball game I went to or first basketball game in general. So, I mean, if I could, I would love to get the chance to talk to him about his experience there, his experience in that state and everything like that. Me personally, like I'm happy where I am, but to me, it's just like a little connection there. When I read that he was from Providence College, like I couldn't believe it because I'm not used to seeing like a guy who goes from Providence College to like Coastal Carolina. And that's no dig on Coastal, but they're not Providence College when it comes to basketball. And so when I saw that on his thing, I was like, this guy really spent that much time in Providence. And I don't know, it just interests me. I'd love to talk to him about that, though. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the, the great things about doing this show and being at a school like Coastal Carolina those guys will all jump on in a heartbeat. So you might get that opportunity, Mario. We're going to have to work on getting some interviews. It's tough now that we're in season. Um, but come the Christmas break, when things slow down a little bit and Coastal Carolina's playing one game a week-ish, they'll have a bit more free time and, and we can probably get a couple guys to jump on. So I want to move on to season predictions. I'm not going to ask you for, you know, a win total. It's basketball. It's almost impossible. But what I will ask for is a floor and a ceiling. What do you think is the highest highs that Coastal Carolina can achieve with this team? And what do you think is the bare minimum? They're guaranteed to at least do this. Josh, I'll turn it over to you first. Give me your floor. Give me your ceiling. Yeah, so I want to preface this off by saying if you look at the Ken Palm rankings, it's a it's a statistical database that this guy made up. It's very respected. It's very good at telling us March Madness success. So it's tested and true. Coastal Carolina is ranked like 178 out of 355. So literally like dead middle right now. And I think that's our floor. I think where we are now after – it only has data from those two games and some predictive metrics. I think our floor is that with around 10th in the Sun Belt. Like, I really think that the way the Sun Belt is this year, we could finish 10th. But also looking at those Ken Palm rankings, three of the teams are, that are right inside or two, the two teams we just added, Old Dominion and Marshall, are inside the top 100 in Ken Palm. They're like 90 and 80. We, the Sun Belt hasn't had a team higher than 100 in like five years, Georgia State was briefly, but those are the caliber of teams that we're bringing in in Old Dominion and Marshall. Those are real basketball schools and real teams that you're going to see at the top of the Sun Belt standings. So with that, I think the, the ceiling for us is probably regular season second place in the conference. They did away with divisions. It's just top to bottom, 10 to 15 now, so 10 to 14. So yeah, I think that that is the ceiling, but with that ceiling being said, I think the ceiling is also making a run in that Sunbelt tournament. And 
making our first NCAA tournament run since 2015. This team has all the talent it needs to stack up with those teams. It's going to be a dogfight, but like we mentioned, if you're caught slipping on any night, you're going to get punished by these Sunbelt students because Sunbelt's not just some Mickey Mouse loaf-around conference anymore. You have to come ready to play almost every single night. So, yeah, floor 10th, ceiling second with the chance to go to the NCAA tournament. That's what I would say. 20 wins at least. Yeah, before I, I jump into to your prediction here, Jordan, I have a quick question for you, Josh. Do you think the addition of these new teams means that the Sun Belt is potentially a multi-bid conference? Do you think Coastal Carolina needs to win the Sun Belt tournament in order to get in, or can they have a good regular season and a good tournament run and still make it as as a you know fifteenth seed or something? Yeah, so I I want to answer that question by saying that. For, especially for a lot of Coastal fans, because this is something that I hear on campus a lot, and it's it's literally not true. They're always like, oh, if we win, we would we would have to probably go 23, and we would have to have four or less regular season losses to have a prayer at getting a bid in the NCAA tournament without winning the Sunbelt tournament. We would have to be around 40 or higher because of all the bid stealers and all the lower teams that make it. So, no, Coastal – Carolina has to win the Sun Belt Championship with their schedule to get into the NCAA tournament unless they go undefeated or probably win only lose two or three games. So yeah, my answer is yes, they absolutely have to win the Sun Belt. And any Sun Belt team other than maybe Old Dominion actually has a prayer at getting in on them. But I think the Sun Belt is moving there. Jordan, I come to you then. Give me your floor, give me your ceiling. Where does this team end up, you know, come March? Okay, so we have uh we have thirty games in a regular season. Um, right now we're two and zero. I and six, and we have to play six teams that are pretty much like you said, Curtis, the death of the blind. Um, I see. Um, we should be at least win fifteen games. Like no question, we should win at least fifteen games. I mean, just based on the schedule, um, you know, that's six wins right there because you're playing, you know, teams that don't have eyes and can't hear. Um, so that's where we should be at. The ceiling, I would say, should be over 20 wins. I maybe would say 21, 22 wins. You know, Cliff Ellis could possibly get a bonus this year. Uh, we just have to – we'll have to see, but I think – that's where we should be at. This team is way more athletic than last year. We are composed of way more better shooters, I think, this year, maybe than last year. So, but you guys might disagree, but, you know, I think we might have a little bit better shooting than last year. But um, I say over 20, 20 wins, 22 wins. You know, Cliff Ellis gets a bonus. And like Josh said, we should – compete if not at least be in the Sun Belt championship game win it and then hopefully make it to another NCAA tournament bid um that's all these guys have been talking about they want to make it to an NCAA tournament um this year so excuse me next year so we'll we'll see what happens but I think 20 wins should be that should be the standard I think they should get to that yeah, uh, Mario, I'll come to you. Uh, give me your floor. Give me your ceiling. Where are you at with this team? Well, I got higher expectations than Jordan. To me, I'm expecting 20 wins. 
being honest. Okay, like with the way we've been hyping up this team and as good as like Josh has been speaking about them, I'm expecting 20 wins. We talk about how more athletic they are. We talk about how how it seems like they just want it. Like it seems like like even though there's like might be some chemistry issue, like not a little bit of chemistry issues, not too much, but a little bit, because obviously it's a brand new team like we talked about. That'll get that'll eventually get resolved. But I'm expecting 20 wins, to be honest. Um, I'm gonna be real. My floor is this team is not who we thought they were, or they something happens where it's the same thing as last year where we go 16 and 12 or like or 17 and 11, whatever it might be. Whatever it might be, or I might have the math wrong or whatever, but basically last year, you know, we were a little bit above 500. That's not what I'm expecting this year. I'm expecting a team. I'm expecting this team to get over 20 wins. I'm expecting this team to lock in and play and play good basketball. Honestly, the ceiling for me is probably we make the NCAA tournament. Probably as some belt champions, like Josh said, it's going to be really hard for us to make the NCAA tournament if we don't win some belt champions. But uh, the ce- the ceiling is probably some belt champions, and we make a okay run in the in the NCAA tournament. That's my ceiling right there, because obviously the NCAA tournament has so many great teams in it, you know. But yeah, I'm expecting 20 wins, and I and like I said it off camera, I'll say it on camera, and that doesn't mean. An, that's what I'm expecting personally with the talent that we have and the skill set that these players have and the depth that we have chemistry will end up built and they will end up getting full chemistry. I expect 20 wins personally, but you know, we'll see what happens as we go on to the later half of the year. Yeah. I just wanted to like, really like really clear this up again with the fact that coastal has to win the NC of the Sunbelt tournament to get into the tournament. Like don't even bother yourselves looking in the AP poll every week and whatever. Like it doesn't matter. We have to win the Sunbelt championship. Just focus on that. The distractions cut them out. The Sunbelt's only sent two teams to the Sunbelt to the NCAA tournament one time in the last 30 years. So I think that we should just like that everybody can just focus on, especially the fans, because I know a lot of Sunbelt Conference does not get a lot of talk in NCAA basketball. And that's just, unfortunately, that's just the way that it works. So that's got to be our goal is to win that Sunbelt tournament. It doesn't matter what you do in the regular season, but you got to do everything you can to set yourself up for success in those four days in March. Yeah, absolutely. Those four days in March are the only days that matter. I'm going to set my floor at 15 wins. Um, this team goes 500. I think that's the worst that could possibly happen. Just the talent, and we keep hammering on how terrible the schedule is. You play seven games against the school of the deaf and blind. Like, I don't know why we scheduled App State's women's team so many times this year, but, like, you know, it is what it is. Like, we just, it's what we do here at Coastal is we play the worst competition that we can find that's willing to come in and play for next to nothing. I think 15 wins is the very bottom of that. I think the ceiling for this team is, I'm on the exact same page with Josh, a top three finish regular season in the Sun Belt, um, and a run to at least the Sun Belt tournament semifinal, potentially the championship. And then you're looking at maybe potentially an NI, like a deep NIT seed or going back to the College Basketball Classic again. And I think that's respectable for, for a team like Coastal Carolina. I get it. The, the Basketball Classic is the third tier tournament, and it's not really where you want to be. But for a team like Coastal that 
let's face it, has zero basketball tradition, at least getting to a postseason tournament is something. With that, I want to turn to kind of the, the future of this program and where we're at now. I finished a lot of football episodes and a lot of episodes this season with Firecliff Ellis. I still believe in that. Um, I don't believe he's the right man at the helm for this program. I think he'll do fine this year. Uh, but he's struggling to build a program. And it's concerning at this point. In the last three recruiting cycles, we've brought in one true freshman scholarship player. Every other player that's put on the teal and bronze has been a transfer or has been from previous recruiting class. Isam Mustafa is a guy that's coastal through and through. But Josh Uduje is the only true freshman that we've brought into this program that is still here today. And that's unacceptable. I know at a mid-major team, you're just looking to be competitive every season. But at a certain point, you kind of have to take the lumps that the football team did when they first transitioned to FBS. They had a couple of terrible seasons, but you built a program. You recruited in a bunch of guys that you knew were better than the two-star ranking they were, and you developed them into the five-star player like this team did with you know the likes of Grayson McCall and you know Teddy Gallagher and, and Silas Kelly and Alex Spillum and all these guys that you know are now professional athletes. Isaiah Likely is one of the best rookie tight ends. Why can't Coastal Basketball do the same thing? And I'm excited for what this team can do next this season, but I already know next season there's going to be 15 new guys on the team. You're not going to have the same energy and the same chemistry. Jordan, is this a concerning pattern for you, or are you okay with just bringing in the best possible transfers that Coastal can and being semi-competitive every year rather than building a program from the bottom? Well, I think it's concerning because, you know, we don't know how long this transfer portal is going to last, you know, with this whole the, – the transfer portal, you know, expanded because of COVID. So we don't know how long it's going to be here. So I would say Coastal's got to do a lot better at trying to get, you know, recruiting like freshman classes. I think that would be a better thing than trying to go out and getting um, these transfers. But, I mean, they're beneficial for like that one year, though. Like, if you want to say, hey, I'll go out here and I'll get all these guys, and we'll try to see what, what we can do about trying to win a Sun Belt Championship and making an NCAA uh, tournament bid. Yeah, that's fine in that sense. But but you don't know if they're going to leave or if they're, you know, you don't know if they're super seniors. You don't know if they're going to leave and go to another program. We literally had Rudy Williams last year. Rudy Williams bought out for that one year. We all knew he was going to leave. He bought out for that one year. Now look where he's at. He's left and went to the uh, Mountain West Conference. He went over to BYU. He's going to try to see if he can lead the Cougars to a uh, tournament bid. So um, I think we should do more with trying to get more freshmen in. Although I am beneficial towards the transfers, we got to try to keep these guys here for four years. We can't try to just go out here and try to keep getting these guys come in for a year or two, and then they'll go and play at a bigger program. Devontae Jones was here first for, golly, what, two, three years? He went on to Michigan and – now he's playing over in Paris. Like, we got to do better, I think, with trying to get freshmen here. I, I, I don't think we can always we can't always rely on the transfer portal. I, that's just my opinion. 
Mario, I'll pose the same question to you, but word it a little bit differently. If I told you today that Coastal Carolina basketball was guaranteed to win 17 games for the next three seasons, but would have a different starting five all three seasons, or next season they win three games, the season after they win six, the season after that they win nine, and then four years from now they win a Sunbelt championship, which do you sign up for? It's tough. The second one you gave me, it's a lot of it's a lot of sitting down and watching the torture. It's a lot of sitting down and watching the three, the six, to nine, the twelve, and like it's a lot of waiting. And me personally, I ain't gonna be a student. I'm not gonna be a student here. So for me, I, I kind of want to see some winning now. But I will say this: I think it's I think it's a mixture of both. You know, I don't think you can go off of just having all freshmen. I don't think you can go off of just having all transfers. You gotta mix it up a little bit. And you made a good point. You know, we haven't been recruiting a lot of freshmen. Um, a lot of the guys have been transfers. And uh, I mean, I'll give them, I'll give the basketball, I'll give basketball some credit here because like they did try to recruit guys from big schools like LSU, Jimmy Nichols from Providence. We talked about. Um, somebody's gonna have to correct me here. I can't remember. I always get the. Um, I believe Rudy went to uh, Kansas. It was Kansas, right? Kansas State. Kansas State. See, I always get the two, but Kansas State Jayhawks and yeah. But basically, we so they've done a good job of Wildcats before <laughs> before somebody gets in our comments. Oh, Kansas <laughs> Jayhawks, Kansas State. See, that's why I me. Mean. I get them mixed up. My bad. Can you get my point? But we've done a really good job of like recruiting guys from big schools, and some of them worked out, some of them haven't. You know, but it, it is time for us to start recruiting some freshmen. Now, regardless of that, a lot of the guys. I don't think. I think Coastal is definitely going to be the place where these freshmen stay for three or four years because we're not a developed basketball program to where, as a freshman, you can go in for one year and be like, I'm declaring for the draft. That's only if you go to a really big school, like, in my opinion, like Duke, UNC, the Virginias, and all Villanovas and everything like that. Those are the guys who go for, as freshmen, we go for one year and then we enter the NBA draft. You're not going to see that with Carolina because we're right under the radar. But... I do think that they need to do a little bit more uh, recruit for freshmen. I really do think that. And and we took Josh Udijay, and Josh Udijay has been doing very well for us, you know. And I believe there are guys just like Josh Udijay. I believe there are these high school players that not many people know about that we can grab. And I think we should start putting uh, dipping our hat into that part of college basketball opposed to just rely on the transfer portal because like Jordan said – we don't know how long this is going to be, this transfer is going to be, you know, because it was, it was bigger because of COVID. And obviously now, like, we don't know how big it's going to be. So I think it's time to invest in both those. But overall, we, and we, and you had the same argument about football, the fact that you, you were talking about it. I can't remember what episode it was, but you said like, why don't we get these guys from big schools? You know, we keep grabbing these transfers from different, from these schools that aren't as big for football. It's the same thing with basketball. Like, I'm happy that we're going in there and we're grabbing guys from LSU and we're grabbing guys from uh, Kansas State and we're grabbing the, all these guys. I'm happy. I'm happy. But at the same time, we got to go look out for these freshmen because there's so many more guys that we can grab just that have the skill set of Josh Uta or have the skill set of Isam Mustafa that we really need to go look into. So I think it's a mix of both. To your question, I'm sorry it took so long. I would like to see Coastal win a Sunbelt Championship. Would I want to wait four years for it to happen? absolutely not but i would but whichever way works to get that sunbelt championship that's what i want to see yeah i think that's all valid 
Josh, I hate to put you on the spot, but I'm going to just a little bit here. What do you think motivates going to the transfer portal so much? I'll pose the same question to you that I did to Mario. You're guaranteed at least 17 wins, but no NCAA tournament appearances, no Sunbelt championships from now till the end of Coach Ellis's tenure. Or three, three seasons of progressive winning, but less than double-digit wins, and then you build a program to a Sunbelt level. Do you think this is a little bit of selfishness on Coach Ellis not wanting to start a rebuild and trying to build his own legacy through winning? Or do you think this is a decision that the entire coaching staff and the entire administration has come to to say, hey, listen, we just need to be relevant and we need to get to 15 wins regardless of how it happens? I really like that question. And I think that as somebody that like loves college basketball, like I would love to be the guy that's like, yeah, we can build – but here's the, the, the part of it, unless we have a extremely ramped up NIL platform and unless we have way better facilities, Coastal Carolina is never going to be able to build a program and be competitive ever because those guys will all leave after a couple of years. I just I, I looked at the top 200 recruits, the top 200 recruits from the 2022 class and not a single recruit out of the top 200 went to a conference other than the Power Five or the Big East and the A-10. So not a single top 200 recruit, not even one, committed to a one-bid conference. So while Coastal Carolina is in the Sun Belt, and while the Sun Belt is a one-bid league, then unfortunately recruiting freshmen no longer works because they're all just going to leave you, and you're not going to be able to be competitive and if you win single-digit games in the college basketball season, almost uh, 95% of the time that coach gets fired. It doesn't matter. No coach has time. No fan base has time to support a team that wins single-digit games, especially if they win like six. So I would probably rather win 17 games a year and have a hope because at, at a school like Coastal, it doesn't matter. There's 14 teams in a conference. Only one of them is going to the NCAA tournament, which means that all 14 of those teams just want a chance to go there. So I'd rather win 17 games a year and go into the Sunbelt tournament and being like, if we win four games, we can do it. We feel like we have a decent enough team to do it. So unfortunately, I think that it's basically extends beyond the coaches. I, I want to answer your question by saying that, yes, we like it is a good idea to recruit a few fresh just like they kind of did. You can strike lightning with that class with Garrett Green, um, Devontae Jones, and Abrima Diba, those types of guys. But I And I definitely think you should probably, if I was a coach, I would recruit two freshmen a year, and then I would plug the rest of my lineup with transfer portal guys. I, I will say that I would not recruit zero freshmen like we do, because guess what? Next year, it's really tiring for a fan base. That's not us to be like, do I really have to research the basketball team if I want to be a fan? Do I really have to look at where all these guys were? Or, hey, I know that guy. I know that guy. I'm going to show up. Like, I've seen these guys before. Because you're not going to be able to do that while Cliff Ellis is here because they're just plugging and playing. Everybody's going to either graduate or leave. And while Coastal Carolina is a stepping stone, you could have those guys for two or three years, like you mentioned, because this isn't a one-and-done program. But, yeah, I would probably rather win 17 games a year at this stage because where Coastal Carolina is in the college basketball landscape is just a team that can hope to make noise in the tournament unless something changes with NIL or our facilities. That's the only way we're going to get top freshmen. 
and the only way that we're going to get them to stay, along with the Sunbelt Conference has to develop into a real conference if that's going to happen. Yeah, before I jump to you, I see your hand over there, Jordan. I'll get to you in just a second. I did want to ask you, Josh, do you think the additions to the Sunbelt will be enough to make it more competitive, right? Do you see in the next five years or so that the Sunbelt can improve and just being in the Sunbelt is good enough to maybe get it to a two-bid league? Yeah, I do see it. Louisiana is trending that way. Southern Miss doesn't have a good hoops, but Old Dominion has been a very good hoops program for a while. Purdue made the Sweet 16, uh, they made the Elite Eight against Virginia a few years ago, but Old Dominion almost pulled off that upset. They make the tournament every, probably 50% of years uh, recently, so they're a really good program. Marshall's also a really good program. Conference USA was trending there, and for us to steal two of their top three teams, with the exception of Western Kentucky, is huge, and I think but we have to band together as a conference. It's going to take everybody. It's going to take ULM stepping up. South Alabama's on the rise. But yeah, unless everybody steps up, no one wants to play in the Sun Belt. And the Sun Belt has to be a strong league to where losing to the last place team doesn't kill your chance at a tournament. Jordan, I come to you now. I see your hand raised over there. You had something to add here. Yeah, just to go back on what Josh was saying, not right before he just, before he had just spoke, but, um, yeah, Coastal's going to have to – we're going to have to come up with a reality. They're going to have to just face a lot of reality. Like, we're going to have to look ourselves in the mirror, and we're going to have to make some huge, drastic changes because we're not – we're not that – we're not that school that a lot of people will want to come to for basketball. Like, we're not. You know, the scheduling is horrible. Matt Ho's going to have to do a lot better with scheduling. We're playing all these schools that aren't even – the teams that we should even be trying to go after, like you guys, uh, we should be trying to go after like teams that are like ACC, Big Ten, money games. Yeah, that's how programs get better. And you know, I don't see us trying to get to. I don't see us winning a Sun Belt championship unless we can play the level of competition that we'll be playing in the um, in the uh, NCAA tournament. You know, I mean, the facilities. Josh brought up the facilities. We don't have the best facility at all. HTC, like you guys said, no, no atmosphere. We don't even hold what three thousand seats, a little over three thousand seats. We don't even hold that at the HTC Center. And no it's way. not even that because Wofford's able to do it with two thousand. But guess what? They have two thousand, the most rowdy fans, and we have no fan atmosphere. And it's never rock. It's been rocking one time that I can mm-hmm. remember in the past four years, and that was South That's Carolina. It. That's it. And you know the women's basketball team shares the same locker room as the men. Ladies and gentlemen, for those that don't know, they don't have separate locker rooms for the men and women. They share the same locker room. If you go to any Power 5 school, the women and the men both have their own gymnasiums and locker rooms. And they got the recliners with the locker with the graphic on the TV that says their name and the name plate and the pool table in there. I've been, literally been in the last two weeks. Jordan and Mario are waiting for me. I went back into that locker room. It is literally a high school locker room. They have the wooden lockers with the nameplates, and that is about it. It's a high school bathroom. It's a high school locker room. It has none of the amenities. The guys can't even hang out in there. So normally a locker room is somewhere you can live and build team bonding and watch other games and kind of a safe hangout place to keep your guys out of trouble and keep them binding. But we don't have any of that. So that is a huge thing. I'm glad you mentioned that, Jordan. Like it's it's ridiculous. And then you know you know Curtis brings up you know Fire and Cliff Ellis. Like 
Yes. Yes. Do it. Because we there's there's that the program will not grow unless we get a coach that is serious about putting fundamentals in basketball. Coach Hells won't even let the players dunk in a game. Like now I guess he's gonna have to start letting them do it because we're a more athletic team. But this program will not go in the direction that we think it'll go in until we see some drastic changes. It's gotta be by the coaching staff, it's gotta be by the facilities. Like something's gonna have to give. Something's gonna have to give. And that's that's all I had to say about it. We won't grow as a program until drastic changes happen. Yeah, well t- t- you know. Cliff Ellis was born before dunking was allowed in basketball, so there's that at least, you know. He was born back before TV was around, so we got to give him some credit there. But, yeah, I mean, Coastal Carolina is at a crossroads. This is a pivotal season, not only for this team and for the expectations that we have and what this team can be, but what this team can be in the future. If this team racks up 20 to 25 wins makes a run i mean listen coastal carolina can invest in this team like they're doing the football team they're getting their new indoor practice facility new locker rooms new facilities for the basketball team what's to stop us from becoming the next vcu or butler like i mean there's no reason we're not going to be the next kansas but why not those guys that go to the tournament three out of every four years why can't that be us so I'm excited for what this team has. Josh, you have something to add here before I go ahead and wrap this up. I'm glad you mentioned VCU because it's a perfect example. The American 10 Conference is all schools similar in makeup, student size, everything funding to Coastal. They're not a football pro conference, so they've had to focus on basketball. They literally don't have football programs. So that's what I'm saying. Like This is basically like what Coastal is doing with football. We have got to look as a Sunbelt Conference exactly what the Atlantic 10 conference did and do it. All their facilities are on par with like power five teams. All of their kids are getting NIL money. They literally stole Tosh Thuy at one of our recruits to Temple to play in, in that conference. So you have the, there's a blueprint to do it. All those, none of those schools are big Dayton a couple years ago, Dayton, Ohio is, was ranked number two in the country. They recruited a kid named Obi Toppin. They got him to stay there. There are models for this. They've literally done it with a bunch of small schools, and they send three to four teams to the tournament every year. You cannot tell me it can't be done. So look at what the A-10 does. You actually, it, unfortunately, it, it does take investing in the conference, in the programs, in the facility. It takes it takes money in. But if you do it, it you can turn the Sun Belt into a three or four-bid league where kids actually stay and you can really build programs. And unless that happens, it's just not going to happen ever. Yeah. And I think that's the perfect place to leave. This is we're hopeful. We're excited, but we see the changes that are coming on the other side of this hill. And hopefully on the other side of this hill is a mountain for coastal Carolina to climb that ends with a sweet 16 run or an elite eight run. This team has the potential to do it. We don't have to be the Cinderella that St. Pete's was last year. We don't have to be the Cinderella that, that, you know, Loyola Chicago was a couple years ago. We can be a team like VCU that the big boys are scared to play because they know we're good. They know we're a mid-major that's, you know, not to be messed with. 
And so it's exciting. It's it's exciting times for this program. And, you know, we're excited for this season. Again, two games down, two wins. That's the start you were looking for. Again, terrible competition, but two wins are two wins. And it's looking up for this team and, and for this program. But uh, with that, I think we'll go ahead. We'll wrap it up. Follow us on Twitter, at The Shot Show, on Instagram, at Shot Show. Send us in your season predictions. Who are you looking at as X-Factors? Who do you want to see more of uh, or more out of this season, excuse me, of those three returning guys? And, uh, yeah, we'll see you real soon. Um, you know, there's a lot of things going on with Coastal Sports, and we're excited to be here. Uh, and, and to help us out and help us in that journey, you know, share this with your friends. Share this with, with your enemies. Share this uh, with your boss, with your niece, with your mom, with your dad. Share us with everybody. Uh, spread the word of, of what we're doing here because, uh, you know, the more numbers we do, uh, the more uh, I feel good about myself. So, you know, that's always good. So help me out there. But uh, with that, Sean's up forever, baby.